Well, good morning, everybody. We've got people moving around. I like it. Well, I am, uh, I'm Jonathan Pack, if you don't know me. I am not the pastor. So if your expectations were here, put them here, and you'll be okay. Um, <clears throat> I am one of the elders here. I'm on the leadership team somehow. And uh, Joey asked me, Pastor Joey asked me to fill in for him today. So if you didn't know who Pastor Joey is, he was the one that was just standing up here giving announcements. Come back next week. You'll get the full normal weekly sermon. We're actually going through the book of Revelation. It's good stuff. So um, I, I put in here to insert a joke, but I don't actually have a joke. But uh, <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny? That's good, right? I actually was thinking about how uh, we went to a church in Springfield. I think it was the Sunday before we came here. When we first moved to this area, we went to a church in Springfield. And um, the pastor got about halfway through his sermon, and then he just stood there dumbfounded like, I completely forgot what I was going to say. And then we were all dismissed. And I thought, well, okay, as long as I do a little bit better than that, then, uh, then I'll be okay today. So that's, that stuck out for like the past 10 years in my mind. Like, didn't have anything written down to remind you of where you were going with that sermon? Crazy, crazy. Anyway, so for the past, um, well, let's pray first. I'm going to need a little prayer I can get. All right, Father, thank you for us being able to gather this morning. Um, just, I just pray that uh, you open our hearts and minds and that we'll, uh, we'll grow in intimacy with you today as we continue to worship uh, through studying your word. Um, and I pray that I don't get in the way of what you've got to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So for the past four weeks, if you're part of our um, daily Bible reading plan that our church has going on, we've been going through Kings and Chronicles, which... Uh, might not sound very exciting, but there are some exciting things in there. And um, this is our fourth year doing a, a, a one-year Bible reading plan as a, as a church. And um, I, think the, I think the best way to read through Kings and, Chron and Chronicles is chronologically. And uh, this is almost like a, like I'm going to start this off almost as a sales pitch to Joey. as like, hey, I would love to do another chronological Bible plan. Because I think when we did it four years ago, the first time we did it was chronologically. And uh, I just think it's awesome because not only as you're reading through uh, First and Second Samuel, you know you've got you got most of First Samuel is all about Saul, and then Second Samuel is all about David and the hunt and the running and eluding one another, and there's all these emotions and things happening. You get all those psalms mixed in as you're reading through it. You know David's on the run from Saul, and you get some of the psalms where he's pleading for God for safety or protection or praising him for protecting him. And it's really cool to have that stuff mixed in there. So that's almost part of my sales pitch, Joey, of uh, another chronological reading plan. Um, but anyways, as you're reading through Kings and Chronicles, that's another area where it's really neat to have the stories kind of back to back. So we're going to look at uh, a couple of those today. And you get a whole different perspective, which I think is really neat every time we, we read through it. Um, if you can take the time to read, okay, this was in Kings, let me go to Chronicles and read that part. Uh, it's just, just really neat because Kings is almost like the modern day news headlines. You know, as the events were happening, um, things are happening with Solomon, he's building the temple. You know, you got the headline like Solomon builds the temple and you got an article about it. But then Chronicles is like centuries later and they've, you know, you've got hindsight. Everybody always says hindsight is 2020. You've got the hindsight of like, okay, Solomon built the temple, and now we've got almost like a documentary of 
all the things that happened when Solomon was building the temple and afterwards. So there's, there's some different perspectives and, and um, different agendas that the author has. God, obviously, inspired through those authors. So I, uh, as we've been going through the past couple of weeks of Kings and Chronicles, I've, I've been kind of uh, stuck on a couple of things that I've been looking through. And every time Pastor Joey asks uh, me to fill in for him, I think, all right, most importantly, I should probably teach on what God has been teaching me lately in my, in my life. And so the question last week was, all right, God, what have you been teaching me? And actually, the, the, the reality is, of all the things that you are teaching me, because it seems like I'm in this phase of life where God's just constantly trying to teach me something, which can be a little overwhelming at times, right? It's good and bad. Um, what, do I, what do I bring out in, in talking with you guys today? And so... Um, as I, as I always read through these, these books, I find myself just super confused of, you know, when did this kingdom even split? You guys ever, you're like, okay, king, this king's the king of the northern kingdom, and this king's the king of the southern kingdom, and you're going through, and you're like, just lost, right? I don't know who they're talking about and what kingdom it is, and when did that split even happen? I remember there was Saul, I remember there was David and Solomon, and then there's just all this chaos of kings that are just screwing up most of the time, right? So as I was studying through that, I thought, okay, this would be, a, be an interesting thing to share with you guys today. And if you think it's boring, just come back next week. We'll be back in Revelation. It'll be fine. But I, I promise there's some, there's some interesting things in there, and uh, there's always a, always a message of hope. So if you're like, oh, this is Old Testament Hebrew text. It's just going to be about angry God, people doing wrong. Uh, boring stuff. It's, it's not. There's hope in there. There's always hope. All throughout all 66 books, there's this constant story that God's trying to tell of love and redemption, and there's always hope in there. So um, his agenda with every single one of, of these stories is for us to learn about who he is and what it looks like to partner with him. So that's what we're going to do today. <clears throat> all right, so the let me fast forward a little bit here through my notes. I'll catch up. <laughs> We're going to open our Bibles to 1 Kings. If you've got your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 12. And while you're doing that, I'll give a little bit of backstory. Shouldn't take but a minute here. 1 Kings chapter 12. And wondering how far back to go, but we'll just start with, okay, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Most people know that. And God, through Moses, brings them out of that, that enslavement, brings them out to the promised land, which is where Israel is now. And unfortunately, there was a time in between there for about 70 years where they were uh, in the desert. Um, but they finally get to the promised land. There's no more Pharaoh, right? They're not slaves to anybody. They're not, they don't have this Pharaoh over them. It's just God as their true king. The only leader they need, right? Well, they think not. Every nation around us has a king, so we want a king too. And that's unfortunately the mistake that we always make. We're always looking for somebody else to inspire us, to lead us. Um, God's been their sole leader for about five generations at this point. Once they're in the promised land, um, quite a few hundred years go by, but now they want a human king. This is no surprise to God. Um, he knew this would happen. Moses, Moses told the people before the end of the promised land back in Deuteronomy, and I, I've got a scripture for that, so you guys don't have to turn away from 1 Kings. Deuteronomy 17 kind of talks about this a little bit. This is before they even get in the promised land. Moses is on the mountain. He's looking over. He sees Jericho. He sees the land of the Canaanites. 
And uh, he's about to die, but he's given some final sermons. And in that final sermon, he says, I know you guys want a king. So uh, let's just read through this real quick because this will give some uh, foreshadowing of things to come. All right, Deuteronomy 17, verse 14. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your own brothers. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not a brother Israelite. The king, moreover, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. There should be one person standing out in your mind when I say that. He must, not be, he must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the priests who are Levites. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his brothers and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom of Israel. So I wanted to start with that because we're going to refer back to it a few times. We're obviously talking about kings and um, this little foreshadowing. All, all good books have foreshadowing, right? And every time I read through the Bible, I always find things like this. It's like, oh, yeah, this is clearly calling out Solomon and some of these other guys that uh, just screwed it all up. But so fast forwarding again, five generations of people living in the promised land, give us a king. So now we get, we get Saul. Um, Samuel's upset about this whole thing when, when the people ask, but God tells him, it's not you they've rejected, it's me. They've rejected me as their king. And so they get Saul, then comes David, then comes Solomon. So I'm fast-forwarding a lot here, trying to get to the thing I want to talk about. But first, briefly describe Solomon, because we're going to talk about his son Rehoboam today a little bit. Solomon starts off pretty amazing. He consults with God. He prays. God says, hey, what, what do you want from me? And, uh, you know, he had an opportunity to ask for a long life, for lots of money. Instead, he asked for wisdom. And God says, all right, that's awesome. I like this Solomon guy. Wisdom, you've got it, right? We know him as the most wisest man that ever lived, Solomon. And he receives that. He also receives riches. And, and um, he ends up building the temple for the Lord. But then things quickly go downhill. And uh, you remember that list that Moses gave in Deuteronomy 17? I've got some of those things up here because I thought it'd be kind of fun just to like pick on Solomon a little bit. Uh, don't get great number of horses. He had 4,000 stalls for chariot horses. Don't take too many wives. He had 700. That's a lot. I can't handle the one I've got. <laughs> I mean, I can. I love you. No regrets. All right. Read God's word all the days of his life. He's clearly turning towards other gods. His heart was not fully devoted to God. My check marks got screwed up here. Anyways, all those are X's except for the last one. I thought it'd be fun to say, hey, at least he didn't make the people return to Egypt. So Solomon, you get a thumbs up for that. Um, I just wanted a little bit of, of uh, something good that he did. But anyways, uh, Solomon has a son named Rehoboam, which is the king we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about today. So Solomon dies, uh, our story picks up in 1 Kings, so hopefully you've made your way there by now. 
A little bit of reading here. We're going to read 15 verses. So um, I'll start off here. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all the Israelites have gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. We'll talk about that here in a second. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days, and then come back to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people? He asked. They replied, If today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, What is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, Lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, Tell these, young, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned um, to, yeah, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, come back to me in three days. And the king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given to him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. So this is almost word for word repeated in 2 Chronicles uh, 10, verses 1 through 15. So we'll read that now, too. Okay, I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. I'm not going to read it. <laughs> I was like, all right, if nobody chuckles, then I'll just start reading and, you know. All right. <clears throat> so this was the start of the split of the kingdom of Israel, the way that um, Rehoboam responded to the people. So Jeroboam here, we haven't talked about yet, but he... He had just returned from Egypt, and the backstory there is that uh, he was one of Solomon's officials, and we're told that he was a man of standing and was put in charge of some pretty big roles. And Ahijah the priest, that was also mentioned there, Ahijah talks to Jeroboam and says, hey, I got a message from God, and God says that he's going to pull 10 of the tribes away from Solomon and give it to you. So Jeroboam gets this message of, um, you're going to be a leader. God's chosen you. Solomon, he's given up on him, right? You saw the list. It's given up on Solomon, and uh, Jeroboam is the man to lead at least 10 of the tribes. And so in that story, we hear that Jer Solomon tries to kill Jeroboam, probably because he hears about this potential uh, taking away of his reign. And so Jeroboam then flees to Egypt, and he's hiding there, and that's kind of where this story picked up. He was hiding out with King Shishak in Egypt, which I can't say Shishak without thinking of that shed commercial from Lowe's or whatever that was. <laughs> it's going to be really hard for me to say that this whole time. So if I should start laughing as I say it, just bear with me. Um, Shishak, yeah. So he's in, Jeroboam's in, in Egypt with Shishak, hiding there until Solomon dies, and now he's back, and he's kind of just waiting with the people of how is Rehoboam going to respond. And there's a lot of things that we can take out of, out of um, this particular set of scripture, but the big thing is that I was looking at initially is 
Rehoboam, here's your, here's your opportunity to do things different, right? He's even consulting the elders. You're, you're a new king. You've got access to all the wisest people that your dad had that he surrounded himself with. And, um, you know, Solomon, his dad Solomon, especially in his last days, he seemed to express regret about the way he had lived, uh, assuming that he was the one that written, he wrote Ecclesiastes. So when we read through that, we see that he... He recognized the errors of his ways and um, having all those wise wives kind of lead him astray and worship other gods. And, and um, so, yeah, he wrote a lot about, and it seems like in his final years, about just having regrets. So I'm sure his elders were aware of that. And Rehoboam had this opportunity to, to kind of make things right, to reverse that trend. And um, that's obviously something that we can take out as well. My dad was a good example of this. His his, uh, his dad was, I guess, not a father at all. My dad was actually raised by his uncle. And uh, so both those guys just weren't very good father figures. So my dad could have obviously followed in his father's footsteps and continued that trend of just being kind of a deadbeat dad, right? We hear this story all the time. Well, it makes sense because his father was that way. But my dad instead decided he was going to reverse the trend with us kids. I'm going to do everything that my parents did wrong. I'm going to do it right, you know, obviously to his best ability. And um, we don't have to follow in our father's footsteps. We don't have to follow in the leaders before us's footsteps, right? So Rehoboam could have done the same thing here. Um, you know, you ever, you ever switch jobs or, uh, or switch church or move into a new area and you're like, all right, I'm going to portray myself in a completely different way. You're like, I'm, I was immature in my last job position, so now I'm going to like go in and be all just professional all the time, not make stupid jokes and uh, just be real business professional. Like, this is kind of that thing that Rehoboam could have done. He could have gone in and just been like, all right, I've been this, I'm making assumptions, probably spoiled brat, right? He's the son of this rich king, Solomon. And uh, the elders are talking with him, and he, and he could have taken their advice. But unfortunately, he doesn't. And, but as I say that also, we don't have to move to a new church or move to a new community or being around people who don't know us in order for us to um, portray ourselves in a different way, right? We can, we can, we, this is what Jesus is all about. We can change our lives right now despite who we're around or what environment we're in. And when people say, what's gotten into you? Why are you changing? You could just say, Jesus, right? Like we can live a new life because of Jesus. We don't have to um, attend a new church or move to a new area to, to change the way we are today. And, um, you know, that's the entire first half of Romans, I, I think, as we, as we read through Romans sometimes. It's like Paul's spending so much time just telling people, like, hey, you can, you can show love differently starting right now. You, can, you were dead to your sin. You are dead to your sin because of what Jesus did for you. You emerged, just as Jesus emerged from the grave, resurrected, overcoming death, you also have the power of Jesus in you to overcome the sin in your life and live a completely different life, right? We can do that today because of Jesus and his spirit living in us. <clears throat> so yeah, we don't have to wait to be in a new job or a new community. And Rehoboam just big time failed in this area. It seemed like he was going to do the right thing, though, because he deliberated for three days. Hey, come back to me in three days. Uh, I'm going to pray on God's will and consult the elders and it doesn't seem like he consulted God at all. And uh, he ended up just choosing his friends to listen to, who were probably just those guys that were like, oh, yeah, you know, they're all probably just spoiled brass like him. So keep, keep punishing these people. Actually, make it worse. 
assert your authority. So Rehoboam makes some harsh decisions, and then the Israelites, all right, they say, all right, well, we've got Jeroboam here, and uh, he'll lead us instead. So this is where that kingdom splits. So just studying through that helped me figure out, okay, it was Jeroboam, an old official from Solomon that's taken the ten tribes in the northern kingdom, and Rehoboam is down in the southern region of Judah. He's got Jerusalem, and um, he's got the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. They stay loyal to the house of David because, again, Rehoboam was uh, David's grandson. <clears throat> so this also asks the question of who are we listening to in our lives? You know, as Rehoboam talked with people who were telling him and giving him advice, and obviously he didn't consult with God at all, but at least he was consulting with some people, he still just chose to listen to his, his buddies, right? His, uh, his yes guys, probably. And so as we continue to study through the story, the thing that the focus on in this particular section is Obviously, we want to listen to God. We want to consult with God. And all these decisions, consult with him first and then seek the counsel of people that are obviously wiser and more experienced with us and don't just surround ourselves with people who are yes-men. And so, focusing for a minute on the northern kingdom of Israel and how they start off before I get over to Rehoboam, because God chose Jeroboam to lead this northern kingdom to take these 10 tribes. But right off the bat, we see that he was afraid that people would go back down to Jerusalem and offer sacrifices and end up serving Rehoboam. So he makes golden calves. And again, like they already had this happen when they were leaving, leaving Egypt, right? They make this golden calf and they're waiting on Mount Sinai. It's just unbelievable. I just can't believe it. But it's fear, right? Fear is the thing that causes us to sin you know, more than anything. It's the fear and insecurity that causes us to sin and not follow what God's will is. And James chapter 4, I've got that up here, I believe. Yeah. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So it seems like every time that we see somebody rebelling against God or some kind of sin, in this case Jeroboam, it's always from some kind of place of fear of us not having enough, of us not trusting God that he'll be the one to provide. So we lie, so we steal. Um, we're insecure that our needs aren't going to be met. In this case, Jeroboam was fearful of his power being taken from him. He didn't trust that God was going to let him lead these 10 tribes, and he was instead afraid. And so, oh, I'll put up these golden calves so they're not tempted to go back down to Jerusalem. And while they're there, oh, well, I guess I'll just serve this guy Rehoboam. It's the fear that causes us to sin so often and our inability to trust that God will take care of us. So Jeroboam and the people begin to sacrifice and worship the golden calves. And Jeroboam even set up priests. They weren't Levites. They were just his own priests. Anybody that wanted to be a priest, come be a priest. Uh, he set up priests to be on these high places to worship these calves and these Asherah poles and all these kind of terrible things. Um, Second Chronicles 11.14 even said that the Levites that were originally up there with Jeroboam, they abandoned their pasture lands and property 
and came to Judah and Jerusalem because Jeroboam and his sons had rejected them as priests of the Lord. So Jeroboam's even gone as far as, as saying, okay, we don't need those Levitical priests that God anointed. We'll just, we'll just do our own thing. So he even claimed that these golden calves were the gods that brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. And you think, how, how can people so quickly forget where they came from that they believe that these golden calves were the gods that brought them up out of Egypt? It's only been a few generations, but, I mean, we do the same thing, right? They, they can't remember the one true God that brought them up out of Egypt, and so they're worshiping these golden calves. And since we're in the Old Testament Hebrew text, do, it reminds me of Deuteronomy, where Moses is just constantly reminding the people to remember where they came from. Who brought them up out of Egypt? Who took care of them in the desert? Who's bringing them to the promised land? Remember, 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 remember constantly. Because when we remember where we came from, in this case of the Israelites, if they remember where they came from, they'd remember what it was like to be an alien, an orphan, a widow, and then they would take care of the people in that way. They, they would take care of the least of these, those living on the edges of society and so on, and wouldn't be treating them as Rehoboam's going to treat the people. Um, you'll just constantly be reminded of where you came from if you focus on that. So same thing applies in our lives. If we just remember the things that God has brought us through, the things that God has done for us in our lives, if we're constantly just reminding ourselves, as Moses did, remember, 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 uh, we'll be less likely to <clears throat> uh, forget where we came from and forget who God is and the things he's done for us. So we're still in 1 Kings. Uh, the next chapter, just wanted to read one verse from that, chapter 13, verse 34. Um, just summarizing all of Jeroboam, it said, this was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to the downfall and its destruction from the face of the earth. It was Jeroboam's evil ways, it was his priests in high places, and it was all because of fear, the fear that power was going to be taken away from him. So how much is fear keeping us from doing the will of God, from taking care of the least of these from doing his will. And flip a little further in chapter 14, verse 8. This is where God's going to tell Jeroboam how he feels, and then we'll be done with Jeroboam here. 1 Kings 14, 8 and 9. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. But you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what was right in my eyes. You have done more evil than all who have lived before you. You have made for yourself other gods, idols made of metal. You have provoked me to anger and thrust me behind your back. So, God chooses Jeroboam, but does Jeroboam choose God? No, he thrusts him behind his back. And so I take that and apply that in our life again. Is God before you leading your life, leading you and your life? Or are you thrusting God behind your back? And you're the one making the primary decisions because you fear that maybe God is not enough, that God will not provide. Um, let's move forward a little bit here to 1 Kings 14. I think, yeah, we're still in the same chapter. So verses 21 to 26. We're on to Rehoboam now. Rehoboam, this is originally the guy that I was looking at that I'm like, oh, this, this guy's doing some crazy things. I want to look at him in Kings. I want to look at him in Chronicles and see what they got to say and... What, what God's message is for us. So start off here. Rehoboam, son of Solomon, was king in Judah. Judah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. By the sins they committed, they stirred up his jealous anger more than their fathers had done. 
they also set up for themselves high places, sacred stones and asher poles on every hill and under every spreading tree. There were even male shrine prostitutes in the land. The people engaged in all the detestable practices of the nation the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem. He carried off the treasure of the temple of the Lord and the treasures of the loyal, royal palace. He took everything, including all the gold shields Solomon had made. So in there, Rehoboam sounds like he's doing exactly the same thing that Jeroboam was doing in the nation above him, setting up high places. But the Levitical priests, we know, came back from Jeroboam's land and came down to Jerusalem. But still, still, Rehoboam chooses to set up these false gods. And um, also one thing in there that's just really horrible is that uh, the people engaged in all the detestable practices of the nation the Lord had driven out before the Israelites, those Canaanites, if you remember from reading through Joshua and a couple of the other books around there as they were doing that whole conquest thing, those Canaanites were horrible. They were sacrificing children. They were, they were doing all kinds of stuff. But we see here that the Israelites did the same terrible thing. So we've got two kings, both a disaster. Um, but there's a couple significant things that, as I was studying through this that I wanted to point out that are happening at this point in the story. Well, the big one being the nation split, but King Shishak being, Shishak, so funny. King Shishak being mentioned by name is the first time that we get an actual Egyptian leader by name, right? Always it's Pharaoh did this, Pharaoh did that. We don't know who the Pharaohs were. So there could be some significance there that we'll talk about a little bit more. But this is also the first time that the temple of the Lord's attacked. So Solomon builds the temple. He's got this glorious temple with the Ark of the Covenant in it. Um, but God still allows it to be attacked because we know that God doesn't reside in the temples, right? He resides in us. And if his temple is being used for um, purposes that aren't holy, he's more than happy to let it just get rid of it. In this case, it's not destroyed yet, but it did get ransacked by uh, Shishak. And also, just a side note I had, this is the first time that we get the potential of the Ark of the Covenant being taken from the temple. So maybe the uh, riders of the Raiders of the Lost Ark are right. Um, no, I don't, think, I don't think that's true. The Ark probably wasn't taken by Shishak because uh, I, was, I was looking into this, though. Second Chronicles 35, King Josiah orders the uh, ark to be taken back to the temple, and that was like 300 years later. So Raiders of the Lost Ark is not accurate, unfortunately, but it is fun to think about. <laughs> um, another significant thing, this is the first time since the Israelites were slaves in Egypt that they had been under another nation's rule, and it wasn't long after they decided that they didn't want God to be their ruler anymore either. And so um, another side thought I had, I have too many side thoughts, sorry. Another side thought I had is that, you know, you always see like King Tut and all these pharaohs that seem to be like entombed in gold. This is probably where they got all that gold from, right? Thank you, Ray, or thank you Solomon for all that, all that gold. So all these Egyptian pharaohs, this is probably it. It's cool when history lines up with the Bible. I'm going to assume that's one of those where they line up. Um, but we've got uh, Shishak raiding the temple. Did I put the, uh, the image? Yeah, this is cool. All right, I'm excited about this. You guys can read that, right? I'll, tra I'll translate. It's a, this is a list on a temple that um, lists King Shishak and all his 
cities and stuff that he's conquered, and this was found, I think, in the 1920s, just really neat because it does list a lot of the cities in Judah, lists, lists a lot of the cities in the uh, northern kingdom of Israel that Jeroboam would have been leading, and so uh, it's just always really neat when, when uh, archaeological evidence lines up with the Bible, right? So really cool, and uh, also this is a plug for Right Now Media because they have a show on there called Bible Unearthed, all kinds of stuff like this. You can just go through there and see them finding evidence of King David and the time that he reigned. And I don't know, it's, it's really, it's magnificent. And I wanted to say that because Joey struggled with the word magnificent a couple weeks ago. <laughs> just wanted to rub it in. <laughs> all right, so the account of Jeroboam and Rehoboam ends here, but Chronicles has more to say. And, and I wanted to flip over to Second Chronicles chapter 12. Um, because we get, the, we get the king's perspective, and now I think it's important when we look at Chronicles. There's a, there's a few differences I want us to focus on here. So, 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verses 5 through 9. Then the prophet Shemaiah came to Rehoboam. So it seems that Ahijah the prophet is no longer prophet at this time. Then the prophet Shemaiah came to Rehoboam and to the leaders of Judah who had assembled in Jerusalem for fear of Shishak. And he said to them, this is what the Lord says. You have abandoned me, therefore I now abandon you to Shishak. The leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is just. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah. Since they have humbled themselves, I will not destroy them, but will soon give them deliverance. My wrath will not be poured out on Jerusalem through Shishak. They will, however, become subject to him so that they may learn the difference between serving me and serving the kings of other lands. When Shishak, king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem, he carried off the treasures of the temple of the Lord and the treasures of the royal palace. He took everything, including the gold shields Solomon had made. So, neat looking at the difference, right? We get a little extra explanation here that kings didn't provide. Um, we see that God used Shishak to... Um, basically get the Israelites to humble themselves, right? And maybe that's why Shishak is named specifically as, you know, one of the first pharaohs to be named, maybe because he was being used in such a significant way, but uh, speculation. But anyways, Shishak protected Jeroboam, and then now God's using him to um, not completely destroy Jerusalem since they humbled themselves, but to kind of wake them up. So the interesting thing here is that the Israelites did humble themselves. We didn't get that in Kings. Uh, and as a result, Shishak did not totally destroy Jerusalem, but did have them serve him. And, and that image that you saw earlier, the archaeological thing, that actually didn't specifically say Jerusalem on it. It said a bunch of cities around it, but not Jerusalem. And, you know, the big smart scholarly people say, one, it could either be because that part of the inscription was eroded from weather, or Jerusalem wasn't listed there because he didn't totally conquer Jerusalem, which is even cooler that it might completely line up with the Bible here. Just really, really cool stuff, again. Um, further emphasis on the humbling here. Second Chronicles 12, 12. Because Rehoboam humbled himself, the Lord's anger turned from him, and he was not totally destroyed. Indeed, there was some good in Judah. <clears throat> so, when we turn from God and we find ourselves living in sin, disobedience, or just having trust issues or fear of not having enough or whatever it is that's causing us and leading us to sin, 
what is our response? Just to, just to humble ourselves. And um, the Hebrew Bible, you know, the Jewish Bible, they, they end with Chronicles. The very last book of the Bible, of their Bible, is Chronicles. And it's because of the hope that Chronicles gives leading into, well, obviously the Jewish people. On button. There we go. All right. We're back. Yay. Has this ever happened before? Incredible. Okay. Another memorable thing for today. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the tone of my voice. More battery power needed. <laughs> yeah. Like I said earlier, come back next week. It's going to be, everything will be better. I promise. <laughs> All right. Uh, where was I? Oh, the Hebrew Bible ends with hope of Chronicles because Chronicles with that, I mean, the agenda of the writers of Chronicles is to kind of show these things that have happened, but also where God was uh, merciful, where we've got hope. And we as Christians obviously see that hope immediately in the next few books with the coming of Jesus. And so I wanted to read Matthew 11, 28 and 29 as we talk about humility. It says, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is gentle and humble, and being humble is hard, but um, this was the exact opposite of the leaders of Israel, right? The leaders of Judah, the leaders of Israel. Humility was obviously something they hugely struggled with. We obviously struggle with this as well. So I think a big lesson in this is always just being humble. As we read Kings and we see the kingdom split, uh, we see God's people being disobedient and King Shishak coming in and dealing out some punishment. But Chronicles, we see the same thing, but also get the extra detail with a focus on the Lord's people repenting, humbling themselves, and the biggest thing, God's mercy. And that's why it's cool to read these stories side by side. So that's why I thought it'd be fun to share it this morning is that, you know, the, king, the kings, the headline shows, you know, King Rehoboam messed up big time and God was angry and look what happened. And Chronicles, hindsight, documentary perspective, different, slightly different agenda, says, you know, King, king Rehoboam messed up. Yeah, he messed up big time and it was obvious God wasn't happy with him, but all the people humbled themselves and the Lord was merciful because all throughout the Bible, we see that God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and on and on. And we need to put him before us, have him lead before us, not behind us, have him lead our lives. We need to seek his wisdom. You know, Rehoboam obviously did not consult with God at all. And we can, we can choose to be different right now today, like I said earlier, and the reason just being Jesus. We can choose to live our lives completely different because of what Jesus did for us. So, concluding thoughts, seek him in prayer about everything, consult him, keep him in front of us, leading our lives, his Holy Spirit leading us, but also just constantly praising him and thanking him for his mercy and his... Uh, grace for all the times that we keep screwing up and um, 
yeah, I, I guess just the other big thing is God being, God being their king wasn't good enough, but he should have been, right? So God leading our lives, president, king, whatever you want to call it, we should be looking to him for our hope, not these other people. So we can, we can trust him way more than we can a king or a president. And that's basically all I have for today, so let's go ahead and pray. All right, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for um, us being able to study your word, us being able to see the and learn from the mistakes of the people that have come before us. May we, may we take these stories that you've given us that have been preserved for thousands of years and use them to change the course of our lives, to recognize when we need to repent, when we need to humble ourselves before you. And God, I pray that as we go throughout this week, that we'll be just reminded of um, the things that you've done for us. May we remember where you've brought us from and who we are now that we've had Jesus transform our lives, Lord. Who we were before is not who we are now, and it's all because of your son Jesus, and we thank you for that. We praise you, and we ask for a, uh, just a good, good sun, rest of our Sunday. May you be glorified, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed, and come back next week for our continued study in Revelation. Have a good day.